So it was. Is that we're wrong about our nature, basically? <laughs> That's really the whole situation. The exact nature of the exact nature of the wrong is we're wrong about our nature. We're taking ourselves to be a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yes, that feeling of being a self, and it is a feeling. It's a sense of being a self. It's not a thought about being a self. A thought about being a self, when entertained, just. Uh, reinforces and promotes the feeling of being a self. That's the real drive. So when you remember yourself in the past by thinking what you did a week ago, yeah, what happens is you have a feeling of being that person now. Yeah. So when my mind remembers, let's say, something that happened a month ago, and so I go over the restaurant I was at and what we ordered and stuff, but what I'm really, what the mind's really doing, it isn't that interested in a month ago, it's interested in remembering itself now. So by thinking about, quote-unquote, you in the past, it remembers you now, and how it remembers you is a feeling. You have a feeling that you were the one that was there, yeah? Just like you have a feeling when you're worried about who you, what's going to happen to you later, you have a feeling of being that one you're worrying about later, yeah? So... You're going over a situation you think you were in a month ago, and you're remembering yourself now. So, you, but how you remember yourself is you feel, you feel like emotionally feel that you were that person a month ago, yeah. And then, if you're worrying, if the mind's worrying about what's going to happen to you in the future, what how's that used now is that it feels it has an emotional feeling that it's it's about me. That's why it's so worthy of being worried about. Yeah. I mean, that month, a month from now, which has really no no relevance whatsoever in a sense, is is seen to be very valuable because it's about the feeling of being you now being put into a future moment. Yeah. So the way I'm, I, I feel I'm Paul and I, I'm thinking about Paul in the future, so I feel like I'm that Paul now. So in a sense, the mind is constantly remembering you. That's what it does. Yeah. So the thought system, which is very rarely about now, but it only happens now, but it's never really about now. It's usually about there and then. Yeah. I mean, a sim- simple observation of ten minutes would pretty indicate that. Yeah. You don't need thirty years of. of Examples. All you need is five minutes or ten minutes because you just expound on that and it's thirty years. It's not like it sh- it shifts dramatically. It just it expands and contracts. It just hides its premise by degrees. Yeah. So sometimes you're really feeling disconnected. Sometimes it's a little feeling of disconnected. But it's just degrees. So if you have ten minute observation, you can see the whole enchilada. You don't really need a huge. Yeah. Like a retreat on, let's say, the exact nature of self could last five minutes, ten minutes. You just need a couple of examples, and then your mind expounds on those examples, because everything that it does will fit into the basic example, yeah? That it's all about you, that somehow directly or indirectly. So, (coughs) I'm remembering, my mind's remembering, Paul, oh yes, last week I went to this place, Chibos, and they didn't have the coffee I liked, so... How am I pictured me as a body, yeah? Yes? My mind pictures me when it thinks about me as a body. That's the only way it can think about me. You can't think about you as a spirit. Where, how would you think about you? Oh, I, you know, I was, I, I was having a bad spiritual hair day. You can't <laughs> picture 
your condition as a spirit in the past. You can see picture your condition as a body in the past, yeah, or as a mental condition, but not as spiritual. And then it goes, oh, it starts worrying about what's going to happen to me. And you believe that's all that's going on, but while it's worrying about you, you're being remembered. You're feeling like you're that which is being thought about. Yeah. You don't have that feeling exactly here now. It has to be brought about by a preoccupation with there and then. A mental preoccupation produces the feeling of being Paul now. Yeah. It doesn't produce the feeling of being on. It produces the interpretation or the emotional connection to that self that was there and that's going to be there. Yeah. This is your hope for continuity. This is your hope for long-lastingness. This is your hope for being separate and independent. It's all based on the thought system. Yeah. So if you have no immunity to the thought system, you are going to be constantly referred back to and thought about in the future and remembered, and you're going to have this strong sense of being a self. That's what it does. You know? So if you want to get down to causes and conditions, if you are based on causes and conditions, how could that be a long-lasting, independent, separate entity? If you and me are based on conditions, that things are going well or not, my physicality is in good health or bad health, my mind's very agitated or not, if I seem to be, if the condition of the self seems to be based on circumstances and situations, how can it lend itself to the term being long-lasting, independent, and separate? Obviously, it's part of the soup, yeah? Things are happening, and then there's a feeling that they're happening to you. That's the big mental leap. There's just things that are happening. Yeah. There isn't any you that's long-lasting, independent, and separate that things are happening to, and that if everything would chill out, I'd be great. That's the biggest illusion of all. Yeah. Because you're never going to chill out. You are agitation. Yeah. You are a moment and moment by moment becoming an arising, an expression, and then a departing. There's no continualness about you at all. There's no independence about you at all. There's no separateness about you at all. There's no long-lasting quality about you at all. At all. None. Yeah. (laughs) So the whole premise of being a self, feeling like you're this island in the sea of activities, yeah, and the seas are coming up on your shore and then leaving it and coming up, but the shore is always the same, always available, always there. It's just a preposterous mental idea, yeah. So, so the exact nature of my wrong is that I'm wrong about my exact nature. I'm taking my nature to be a mental condition which is always agitated but I'm feeling that there's a surety in there, that there's a self that sort of is always at the effect of this, but is never truly affected by it. Yeah, and if all the effects would stop, I would just shine out like a, you know, like brilliantly as being this authentic, separate, long-lasting, independent entity called Paul. <laughs> How long have you been waiting for that? <laughs> when's the arrival going to occur <laughs> when are you going to feel a sense of true peace of true contentment how can agitation ever find relaxation like they said there's a great old Zen saying that says when you use activity to find stillness that's activity yeah? 
So you can't get out of the format through the format. So you're not going to do yourself out of being the doer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Yeah. You're not going to do yourself out of being the doer. We're just attempting to question the basic premises that everything is also is based on. It's sort of like it's like giving a theme to John Coltrane of like say uh, separation, and then just John Coltrane is ripping on that for days upon days. The great sax player. Yeah. So you just give him a theme. Okay, John, riff on separation, and there he goes. You know. My favorite things, you know, long edition, just over and over and over again. That's what mind is doing. It's based, it has a couple of assumptions where the, the moment of consciousness, which is, there's the aspect of being aware, and there's what's being aware of. Yeah, that's the moment of consciousness. There's, we think there's a separation. We think where the aspect of being aware, and what we're aware of is a separate thing. So we're the subject, we're the aspect of being a conscious, which is every moment, right? Without the, the moment of consciousness, there wouldn't be an experience. And every experience is broken into that statement. There's the aspect of perceiving and what's being perceived. Yeah? You can't separate that. That's, but the mind has. It's made those two things, which are just one event, into two things. So you become what's being perceived, which means you're the object to me, the perceiving, yeah? But the perceiving is taken to be me as this, that I'm doing the perceiving, when in fact, this is just where perception moves through, yeah? This is sort of like the camera, the, and, but the light is what's allowing the camera to, to act or, or facilitate something to occur here, like a picture being taken. Well, in this, the consciousness is allowing an experience to happen, yeah? So it comes through this apparatus, and then has an experience of that apparatus, and yet this and that are the same, and all there is is consciousness, but the mental condition separates them and says, you're the subject, because you're what's perceiving, and everything else is an object, because that's what's being perceived. That's like the beginning of heaven and hell. That's the separation between earth and heaven. That's... That distinction and separation into subject-object, all it does then is just duplicate and, and replicates and becomes duality. So we live in a dualistic nature here, or as, and we're having an experience in that way. Instead of recognizing like what's being perceived and what's perceiving is of the same nature. Yeah. It's sort of like what's dreaming and the dream would be the same nature. It would, it would be the mind that's dreaming would be the nature of the mind, of the dream, yeah? The dream couldn't be different than what's dreaming. It ha- would have to have the same nature, wouldn't it? If something's being dreamt, then the dreaming is the biggest influence of that, yeah? The dreamt isn't going to influence the dreaming unless the dreaming takes itself to be something that's been dreamt. That's what happens, yeah? So the conscious experiences. They're seeing, there's, there seems to be the seer, there's the seeing and the seeing, yeah? I, in this sense, I'm the seer, so I take the role of being the subject. Then there's the act of seeing, which I have no, I have no fucking idea of, really, you know? And then there's the seeing. So my mental emphasis is on the seer and seeing, and you miss the sense of the seeing, yeah? So, in other words, the liver and what's being seen would be 
the experience of the liver, not meaning the organ, yeah? And yet the being is being this. You're not sensing the being, which is the seeing, the feeling, the tasting, the touching, the smelling, yeah? The recognizing mental constructions. That is just one singularity, yeah? There can't be a subject without an object. There can't be an object without a subject. They're inherently the same. So without a subject, there ain't no object. And without an object, there is no subject. Do you ever read that in that old Zen treatise? There's no subject without an object. There's no object without a subject. You can't separate what can't be separated into two. Yeah? It only appears that way to the mental process. So all there is is this conscious moment arising. The mental process decides that let's, let's emphasize the polarity of it, which is the seer and the seen, and then let's get on with a mental interpretation, which it does, yeah? And now you become the seer of everything that's been seen in your life. So you're, in a sense, responsible for every experience, yeah? Every thought, they were yours. <laughs> every feeling, they're yours. Every problem, they're yours. Every situation, they're yours. Every bit of time is yours. And what the hell are you going to do with all that time? You've got a manager that's all yours. This is your life. What are you going to do with it? All of this stuff that has such an incredible sense of being valid is all based on an insane idea. We're attempting to go, okay, so what's the center of that insane idea? Many, 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 many... Uh, ways of looking at life bring it to that one point. All the suffering is caused by the identification of the self. That's what happens. Like in Buddhism. I was just reading an old text in Buddhism that got me fired up. I sort of liked this when I was introduced to it. I liked it so much I never returned it to the guy. It was about 20-something years ago. And I found it, I found it yesterday, the day before. So it says here, very... Uh, there's some beautiful statements in here. This one goes, Clearly, in order to end one's own suffering, there's nothing more important than to realize that when one acts as if the body and mind constituted a lasting, separate, independent self, one unthinkingly attributes to them qualities which they simply do not have. Nothing in the whole stream of mental and physical phenomena that constitutes one's experience of body and mind has the quality of separate, independent, lasting existence. It is all change and impermanence, moment by moment, and so none of it can be self. And it is one's persistent effort to treat it as if it were that makes it a constant stream of suffering. Sounds like Wednesday, doesn't it? <laughs> Saturday, which is just getting going. Wait till tonight. <laughs> Wait till tonight if you feel like you were disappointed a few times on Saturday. You're going to have a huge story cooking. You're going to have like eight gas things, firing up stories. <laughs> I can't. All right, I'll try it again. Hold on, let me see. Clearly, in order to end one's own suffering. Yeah? So there, in a sense, he's saying there's, you have, there's a responsibility right where you're sitting. Not that someone else is going to end your suffering, but he's basically saying to end one's own suffering. Yeah? It's much different than, let's pray to a power that's going to end our suffering. It's saying, clearly in order to end one's own suffering, there is nothing more important than to realize that when one acts as if the body and mind constituted a lasting, separate, independent self, one unthinkingly 
attributes to them qualities, which means the body and the brain, yet to the mind, to them qualities which they simply do not have. And the quality basically is nothing in the whole stream of mental and physical phenomena that constitutes one's experience of body and mind can, mind has the quality of separate, independent, lasting existence. In other words, there isn't one, there isn't someone there. <laughs> I think that's great news. <laughs> so it says here, what Buddhism has discovered is that the experience of suffering is always associated with strong emotional attachments to a vague sense of self. So Buddhism turns its attention onto that strong emotional response associated with that sense of self and asks how that self is actually experienced. Where is the I experienced? Yeah. The only place the I is experienced is in time, past and future. We remember experiences that we think self had and we remember experiences that we think self's going to have. Because it's not having an experience now. It really isn't. So, to counter that incredible, blatant obviousness of its absence, we get consumed by a mental process that puts us into time quite a lot, yeah? And time seems to have a huge value here. Watch, it's running most people's Saturdays. Because it's bookended by a Friday and a Sunday. And especially it's an important Saturday because it's the Saturday before Christmas. So it has a huge amount of meaning. Yeah? So people are going to be running into other people's cars in the parking space at the mall and everything like that. Running to get that last fur coat, whatever. <laughs> All based on time, basically. So here, if you and I can't be experienced as that long-lasting, independent, separate entity in any experience, then the best mind can do is remember it in past experiences, which is made up, and remember it by thinking about future experiences. So, it's inherent absence in the activity of having an experience now, which is the perceiving and the perceived, yeah? In that, there is no idea of a self in there, yeah? It counteracts that by remembering that I'm the perceiver, when that happened, and this happened, and that happened, and remembering that I'm going to be the perceiver when I get fired, or I have cancer, or this or that there. And then what it does is it provokes what? That emotional attachment to the sense of being that self that's going to have cancer, or the emotional attachment of being that self that, that was repudiated or insulted at that meeting a year ago. Yeah? So it conjures an emotional attachment to it, and so it goes, I was here, I'm going to be there, therefore I am here now. And don't you feel like it? Yeah, I do. But that feeling, like I am that, which I've been thinking about, must be produced, yeah? It doesn't, it's not inherent, it's not long-lasting, it's not independent, and it's not separate from the system. It must be produced. So how is it being produced? It's being remembered, yeah? Being remembered. So every feeling becomes a re-feeling. Every, like in resentment, in recovery. Resentment is, it says to re-feel something. 
That's resentment, the number one offender. Well, let's expand on that. Not just resentment for something that we thought someone fucked us over with. Every feeling is refelt in the mental system. Every thought is rethought. Yeah? Everything always gets referred to a past. And in that, you can be remembered. Because you are the star of the past. Spirit ain't. Well, oh, here's a picture of spirit in when I was in Burma in 1997. I don't see anything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, let's see. Oh, let's look at the when I was in Hawaii as spirit. Oh, it was so fast, I couldn't catch it. It was, yeah, it was, it was everywhere. No, you picture yourself as a body, yeah? And then the body is thought about as you, and then you're remembered, but not remembered as a thought, but as a feeling. So when an action happens, you feel like you're the actor, yeah? Because you were in the past, and you really believe you're going to be, so you immediately assume you are now. It has to do it that way, because it's not so. It's got to be like the greatest, it's not even a great magician trick, it's just a quick magician trick. Because before you can be aware of the conscious contact, it already inserts its mental interpretation. Once it's inserted and you have that feeling of being you, then it's just riffing on it. Then basically your whole day is just a referring back to old days. Or, and you remember yourself with future thinking. It's not just only in the past. By, rec- by picturing yourself in the future, that's a form of remembering. Yeah. So you remember, and you feel like you're John Claude, you feel like you're Paul, you feel like you're Deb. Yeah? And that feeling, what does it do? It tints or colors what's happening. Yeah? Sometimes very, very uh, slightly, sometimes very, very obviously. Yeah? But it's sort of like every time the life of the moment is, is, is finding fruition in all these colors, we throw like a yellow tint over everything. And so in a way, we're seeing the same old, same old, because we really are seeing the same old, same old, because we're not seeing at all. We're in a form of looking called self-centered, yeah? So the looking causes us to be blind to the seeing, and what we're so sorely in need of is the sense of the seeing, to be a, have a sense of a pulse of life, yeah? In that, instead of what the pulse means, or what it's going to mean, or what it did mean, because that's all the mind's doing, it senses the pulse of life, it says, what, does this, what, did, what did this mean once, and what is it going to mean? <laughs> you know? It never just gets the feeling of being on, or alive. It gets, it remembers that it once was alive, and it's afraid it's not going to be alive, let's say. Yeah? And then that feeling uh, comes over you, yeah? And so you have that sense. So every action, there's a feeling of being the doer. It just uh, just kicks in. Yeah? But that kicking in isn't like a natural process. It had to be produced. And it has to be reinforced. Because if it stops, if it stops, yeah, then what so bleeds in? Then the whole ability to, to sort of mask or veil what's going on Immediately, when the engine of selfing stops, is the whole thing falls down. You have a free sample. You have an aha. You have one of those hits because it's always available at all times, right where you are. But this, this is like this. It's like having this mental saran wrap constantly being put around your ability to see, so you can keep saying you're seeing, but now it's pretty damn distorted. You got like 52 layers of saran wrap. You're not really seeing too clearly, but you can still say I'm seeing. Yeah? 
Yeah. So this is sort of like, oh, unwind, unwind, unwind. And then you see red is red and blue is blue. You feel something that's cold and hard, yeah? There's an immediate experience going on. There's not, a, not, not by a continual, long-lasting, independent separate entity, there's just an, an, an immediate experience going on, which is brought to us by consciousness. It is consciousness as consciousness. Yeah? So if you get that to the point of the exact nature of the wrong, and you see that there is no wrong in a sense, so the solution is the problem is imaginary, then even the solution disappears. Because you don't need a solution for an imaginary problem. That's a real freaking solution. Yeah? It's not a solution that has to immediately be buffeted with problems to give it validity. It's problem, solution, solution, problem, problem, solution. No, you cut the whole wheel off and it's like, okay, temporarily it's a solution as long as the problem seems real. As soon as the solution really kicks in and you get that it's an imaginary problem, what goes out with the problem? The solution. It's like that thorn, like Robin used to say, you got that thorn in your foot and it's causing you discomfort while you're traveling around. So you look around, you find another thorn, which is the idea that there is, let's say, no self, no long-lasting independent separately. The thorn that's in your foot is that, that you are a self. Yeah. then you use this thorn to pull the other thorn out you don't leave the second thorn in the solution would irritate you just as much as the problem you throw both of them away now you're like you know, free range now you're free free from the need of a solution because you're inherently not the problem Ah, that works for me because it doesn't entail much work <laughs> that's why I really like it it doesn't there may be a lot of stuff that you'll do on over it, but that understanding or that view doesn't need much work on it. Yeah? But it does make a sense because you got to uh, surrender. you got to trust that, uh, you know, you don't exist. And, it's, you know, so I'm just saying it's not that easy because you really, that trust, that belief, that long-lasting um, separate entity is non-existent, it takes some, it's not doing real, but it's, it's, I guess... That's when the problem seems to be real and there's the solution. But then, when you realize there's no one to surrender or anything like that, then there's no problem, and that's fucking pretty easy. Really. Yeah. You may have a lot of ideas about what's going on, but the basic thing is quite easy, because there's nothing to do with what's not happening. All the what's not happening we're so engaged with has an agenda to produce a sense of you so that you feel you're happening. So while you're totally obsessed with what's not happening, it uses that to produce a sense of you are happening. Yeah? What would happen if you cut off its ability to obsess around being who it is by remembering what's not happening? If you cut off or had an immunity to what's not happening, I bet you the sense of you wouldn't arise as full and as, as authentic as it seems to do now. Because you cut off its light source in a way. You cut off its... You get to the exact... The causes and conditions. The causes and conditions is a mental condition that's obsessing over time. Because time, that's how it gets a reflection of being you now. So, okay, we'll take the mirrors of time away and there'll be no reflection of you. The condition, this condition of suffering is cause. It has to have a cause, yeah? 
There's something that's causing this dis-ease, this irritability, restlessness, and discontent. So if we find what's producing it and don't feed what's producing it, it can't be produced. Because it's not an inherent, long-lasting, separate thing. It has to, the qualities it seems to acquire must be produced. So how is it getting all of its juice? I would say it's your juice that's being given to it. So how could I, if, so if, if it's my juice that's being given to it, okay, I'm going to study for three years how not to give my juice to it. That would also be giving a juice to it, because you identify it as a self. So we're questioning, where is the point where your juice gets taken from the moment and this experience and is given over to this occupation of time to produce this reflection? Where is that, where is that initial, where is that moment? Well, the moment is at the point of conscious contact. Right after that moment is the mental interpretation of the conscious contact that separates it into subject-object. That's where it starts. Yeah. So we're not going to say, oh, none of this is real. That would be ridiculous. Don't question the object, question the subject. Who is it that's perceiving? Don't question so much what's being perceived. If it's real, it's like Brahma Maharshi says, there's the guy in the movie theater watching the movie of life and he realizes it's not real. So all the objects he's perceiving aren't real, but he's sitting there in the theater thinking he's real. So he's still the long-lasting independent subject. Self. He says, no, the picture's bigger. There's the theater, there's the movie, there's you sitting in the auditorium. You're in, yeah? All there is is consciousness. The object that's being seen, the subject that is seen. All there is is consciousness. So once there's no separation, then seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling, you're now engaged with on the pulse. Your attention is on the pulse of conscious contact. That's that's what produces the immunity to the mental condition. And if the mental condition's whole engine is the, its center, which is a self, and most people have self-centeredness, yeah? There's extreme divisions of it, like alcoholism and stuff like that, but everyone, in a sense has self-centeredness, yeah? So the whole system, this whole mental condition is rooted in the idea of being a self. If you're not that, it's going to weaken the mental condition. When that weakens, what's going to become obvious that isn't obvious? Maybe another condition that's not a condition at all. Maybe what you would call a spiritual condition, yeah? Or let's say a Buddha nature, or an an inherent condition, or a stateless state. Maybe, just maybe, that will start expressing uh, into your life. And you'll know the tree by the fruit. You'll become aware of how what's happening. And it's so dramatically different than how it was once happening. You'll see that you'll get the, in the contrast, you'll get an intimation of something going on. So you'll know the problem by the relief from it. You'll go, wow, shit. So that's why these guys are trying to save you time. You know, and Buddhism has discovered that the experience of suffering is always associated with strong emotional attachment to a vague sense of self. Now, you can study Buddhism for 40 years, but it's pretty nice to have it condensed into that one statement. It saves you a lot of time, doesn't it? says, he didn't say, he says Buddhism, he's calling the whole thing. Buddhism has discovered is that the experience of suffering is always associated with strong emotional attachment to a vague sense of self. How are you not going to be attached to the vague sense of self if you're identified as that vague self? You can't be more attached to it than that. You're trying to break all your other attachments, which just strengthen that attachment. 
Yeah. So we're going right to the center of the system. Hey, am I that? I don't know. Find out. At least enter the possibility. Jeez, we're entertaining the possibility. We are a self. We've had enough of that evidence, haven't we? We're busily entertaining it every fucking day. And then here we are, seemingly. Are we happy with it? You think this was brought about, that this is inherent, separate, long-lasting? It's been brought about by a mind entertaining some crazy impossibilities. But the mind is so powerful, it can make this seem so. Yeah? We're just saying, hey, we're not going to curtail its entertaining ability. No, we want that. We don't want to. Enter, we don't want to curtail anything. We just want to say, hey, hey. Instead of, hey, let's drop. All right, big dog, big dog. Let me just grab this one bone, this little cell, pull it out, and we'll give you another a, a, a boneless bone. You'll be chewing on this forever. <laughs> it's not a bone. You can't get through with it, it and you can't compare it to other bones here. And the bone, he may feel really upset, and so he get, hey, I like this a lot better. Yeah. The mind goes, oh yeah. So now I can entertain peace instead of like. You know, did I pay too much for that, you know, those pair of shoes on Friday? <laughs> you know what I mean? I can entertain peace. I can entertain contentment and saying, going, you know, push my thumb pushing 800 channels in 20 minutes. <laughs> Try to find something that will satiate my fucking activity up there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe it's the greatest subject it could ever find is stillness. Who knows? <clears throat> <laughs> Let me find another one of these. Of course, I was going to try to organize it, but the pages so, all fell apart. Uh, but you know, Paul, yeah. my, uh, well, the experience, I think the effort was when the you was trying to realize it was not a you. But, but then, really, you didn't even realize it was a you. The realization came. So there's yeah. not even an effort there. No. But yeah, for a long time, seeker was there. Alright, so here. Our instinctive emotional attachment or clinging to a vague notion of self is the source of all our suffering. From the idea of self comes that of other. It is from the interaction of self and other that desire, hatred, and delusions arise. You see, everything is based dependent on other things, yeah? So, all the multiplicity of twos, you know, interrelationship between twos, has to be based on the splitting of, let's say, nothing into twos, yeah? So we're just questioning at that point, yeah? If you start questioning it way down the line of two, you're going to try to take two and stuff it into one, it won't fit. But we're trying to get to the point where there was no, and in fact there is no separation, and just see that a mental activity sort of hijacked yeah, an event called living in a way, and now is interpreted to be us as the subject and everything else objectified. Yeah? And then we get objectified by time, so when the mind thinks about us in time, we're an object. You're thinking about you in the future. Yeah? You're objectified. And when you're thinking about you in the past, you're objectified. Yet, you feel it subjectively now. Yeah? You're an object when thought about in the past. It's pictured as a body. 
That's an object. That objectivity, dwelt on, produces the emotional sense of subjectivity. That's its fucking point. The same thing, in the future, you're objectified. You're worried about you as a body or as a person in a body of somebody or an action figure. And so you're truly being objectified by the mind. Yeah? And then you're being subjectified. Yeah? So in a sense, everything, everything is being objectified so that you're objectified. You're subjectified. You become, you get to be the sense of being the subject. Yeah. Instead of realizing all there is is subjectivity, you now become a special subject. And I'll tell you, how's it, how, how is it wearing the throne? Wearing the crown? How is it? How is it playing God? Is it working out? It's a heavy little mantle. It's a heavy little like uh, robe to have on. Yeah. When it, when it, all you, if you're the only thing, you're not much, but all you, that's, you're all that you can be thought about, right? That's pretty intense. Eh? You're not much, but you're all that you think about. That is incredible. Yeah. Can you imagine having a sense that you're not much, and yet that's all you, that's all that's thought about. <laughs> Just those varying degrees of how not much you are, over and over and day in and day out. <laughs> Everything being brought to that point of you're not much, but you're all that you think about. <laughs> it's producing neuroses, man. Of course you want to get loaded. Of course you want to get some relief. Who wouldn't? I mean, you'd be insane not to want relief, yeah? You'd be insane to put up with it. But our pursuit for relief is also based on the ignorance of subject-object. So we think we would just be fine if everyone else would leave us alone, or if I just had the right concoction, you know, some coke and some heroin, or something like that. We're always trying to formulate the perfect little elixir, but it's not the elixir that's the problem, it's the patient, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, I've tried a lot of different formulas. Yeah. And then, I, you know, maybe the 800th one was going to work, but I don't think I would have lived by then. You know what I mean? 150 of them failed miserably, so I'm going to give just jump off the boat <laughs> and just swim. <laughs> and I don't know where I'm swimming towards, but I'm swimming away from that, that's for sure. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I can't see how it can't be always brought back to recovery because the whole problem with most people in recovery is they suffer from a mental disease. Can't find it in an x-ray. Can't take a CAT scan and find it. Can't find it in an MRI. It's not behind the gallbladder. It's not hidden in between in the kidneys. Yeah, It's not in your bone marrow. It's a mental illness. Yeah, It, it distorts your perceptions and the thoughts. It infects your thoughts. So, you would say that AA people are suffering from a very amplified mental condition that's causing a very a large level of irritability, restlessness, and discontent because they can't seem to opt into any other condition. If they try to make a spiritual condition, they're doing it mentally. Their body condition is a mental image, so they can't seem to escape the mental condition, even when there seems to be other possibilities offered. Go through your body or go into spirit, but now it's the mental condition trying to acquire a spiritual condition, which isn't going to work. 
Yeah? And a lot of people, they're working out that the endorphins are kicking in, but they're really trying to live up to a mental image of a body. They're not really feeling how loose their body is. They're picturing it as a loose body, let's say. So they can't seem to escape. We can't seem to escape from that mental condition because the anchor of that mental condition is the feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the anchor of it. Yeah? That anchor is what keeps you in the, in the mental condition because the thought system is about you as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity and you living in a body or having a body or being a body. Yeah? The thought system is all about you as that. So the thought system reinforces the center of the system. Yeah? So they say in AA, self can't get out of self. So you can't use the product of the system of self-centeredness to get out of self. Just like you can't use Buddhism to get out of Buddha. You know, you can't use the Buddha to find Buddha. You can't use the mind to find mind. You can't use light to find light. It's just recognizing what's causing us not to take ourselves to be light. Seeing if that's true or not. If that's not true, there it is. You found the light that didn't even need to be looked for because you are that light. Yeah. So always they go this way. Just like St. Francis always goes into self-forgetting. Why? Because self is remembered. So what would be a great antidote to the remembering of self is to forget the self. Yeah? It's not saying kill the self or extinguish the self. Or, it says forget it. Yeah? Simple, in a way. Yeah? It says self-forgetting that you're reborn. What the hell? Because I'm constantly born as a self by remembering. So I'm reborn as what I am, which means there's no birth at all, by forgetting how am I going to forget about the self? Well, maybe if it isn't you, you'll lose interest in it. That's how it worked for me. Seriously. That's how it worked. Well, I finally entertained that, hey, I may, I may not be that. I started to lose interest in what caused that, yeah? what produces that. I started losing interest in thoughts about the past and the future. I started losing interest in memories about me and speculations about me in the future. And when, I, when, my, when there was a loss of interest in that, I don't know how, but then the obsession with self diminished greatly. Yeah, because that's the obsession with self. <laughs> it's fueled by, it's about you. <laughs> so, just like we said yesterday at this thing. Alright, what a big revelation. Thoughts are not yours. Yeah. Oh, I can't make that leap. Alright, well, let's say if you're in recovery... How can you deny that after a few months of going to meetings and listening to people share, which is what they do, they share their thoughts, yeah, their feelings, their reactions to life, don't they? Yeah. Maybe there's 10 people, maybe there's 300 people at the meeting. After a few months, you've got to come to a couple of conclusions. How did they get my thoughts? You know? How did these people get my thoughts? I don't like that person. How did they get my thoughts? I love my thoughts. I don't like them. How did they get my thoughts? You know? Who's been selling my thoughts on the open market? Or my feelings? Or they're not mine? What a huge leap of relief. I'm telling you, because I had a huge leap of relief when that occurred. When I realized, they are, hey, they aren't mine. They're alcoholic. That was the first name I gave them. Yeah. What their alcoholic thoughts. Suddenly, I had some space between me and the thoughts. When they, when they advertised, it didn't turn into an action right away anymore. 
a pause started to grow, and I could see the thoughts and actually see them and not immediately start looking from what they were saying, which is the form of self-centered looking, a form of blindness. I stayed with the seeing and I saw the thoughts and I saw what they were offering. Yeah? Yeah. I didn't have to buy. I saw it. And it gave me more and more strength and then more and more thoughts were seen as alcoholic thoughts and then they were just seen as thoughts yeah, and then the sense of mind kept getting diminished, and the power of the thoughts seemed to uh, wane, because it was my juice that were, they were being used. I was the electricity causing that light to burn so bright. It wasn't the light, that's just the bulb. You can't fucking blame the bulb, it's the electricity that's running into it that's causing it to be bright, yeah? What was the, I was the source of electricity, not the thoughts. How could they, how could a thought have a different effect on you if it's the same thought. If you're having a thought and I'm having a thought and you're having a thought and they're all the same thought but they have totally different effects on each person, I would say it's not the thought that has the power, it's the person in a sense that gives the thought the power. Yeah? Or that if not, if the thought had the power then everyone who ever had that thought would have the same effect. It would have its quantity. This has, let's say, 50 kilowatts of juice. So everyone would get shocked by 50 kilowatts of juice. Is that your experience? No. You can have the same thought one day. It has no effect. The next day, it's huge. It starts like an 800-page fucking novel. You have one thought. The other thought, you have immunity to it. Why? Your condition. The condition that you're in when you're seeing the thought is what gives the thought the meaning. Not the other way around. The thought isn't giving this the meaning. This conditioning is giving that the meaning. That's the vehicle of expression. The thought is a vehicle of expression. What's expressing them? Find that out. And what's causing the expression to become so typical and so no, so normal and so same old, same old because the same, it's coming from the same system called self-centeredness. Yeah. Everything refers to the past. This once meant this. Ah! You know? It's going to mean this. Ah! Who's doing the ah? Me! There you go. It's one. It's produced exactly what it wanted. An emotional attachment to a sense of being a self. <laughs> and so you'll argue like crazy. You have the right to be bummed out. Fuck it, then be bummed out. <laughs> That's what you want far out. You're the dreamer. You're the dreaming of it. Go ahead. If you want to be so engaged in your story, go ahead. Just be accountable, though, for it. Be accountable when no one wants to fucking hear your shit anymore. Because it's going to happen sooner or later. You're going to wear out your family. They'll make you the last to go. Your friends are leaving. They have no blood ties. I'm sick and tired of listening to you. You're going to, have, you're going to be alone, and you're going to feel really special, and you're going to be right about it. Hallelujah. You've reached like a crescendo of self-centeredness. Yeah. It's idea of surrender is fuck it. You've reached it. Fuck it. <clears throat> But hey, if you have an understanding, the understanding can lead to a view. You entertain the possibility, hey, I may not be that, then you'll start having glimpses and experiences of viewing life from there. I mean really seeing from there. And you'll be almost like taught in your own little laboratory. And that teaching will have a, some, an ability to be convincing. You'll know it in your gut. Yeah? 
And so when the head says, oh, I, ha- I need to surrender, you realize you're not that which needs to surrender. Yeah. Or it says, I've already surrendered, you're not that that's already surrendered. You're not that, period. Yeah, You're not the noun that it's constantly trying to assume. What would a story be if it was all verbs? Yeah, Let's say the story, the name of the book was running, and every word was running. Running, 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 running. It would be boring to us. We want a noun in there. Joe running after Sue. Oh, that sounds good. Let's riff on that. That could be a story. But running, 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 running. What the fuck am I going to do with that? Exactly. Find out. Find out what's going to use that. What's going to use the seeing, the hearing, the feeling, the tasting, the touching, other than the mental interpretation. See what happens with life. If that the hijack doesn't occur and the seeing is just left as it is, you may have a whole new interpretation down there. You may be able to see incredible sights without leaving your bedroom. Because you'll have the eyes to see. Something will be projecting something to be seen and you'll have the eyes to see it. Instead of the self-centered form of looking, which is everything just refers back to some fucking past. I, I can't take a chance today. I remember the last time I took a chance. It turned out really bad. I'm just not going to do it. You know. I mean, I, I've got a corpse like 80 people. What do you think? Well, last time I took it, it didn't work out. Oh, that's right. On that side... And you're just waiting to hear your answer. That's all. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bing, I agree with that. Why? Because that's how I think it is. Any questions? Well, I just learned something about the stages of my Shakespeare at seven. And I've just discovered that there's only four. I believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in Santa Claus, but I am Santa Claus, and I look like Santa Claus. Uh, you got one out of four. There, there. Well, seriously, though, uh, the, the connection you're discussing between suffering and belief in self uh, was just amazing. I was reminded of two. The story we told a couple of times in the past about this elderly lady in Perth, I believe, yeah, yeah. that was dying for a painful portion of the condition cancer. Yeah. Very painful. But she was very light. It didn't, she didn't seem to be connected both to the suffering. Yeah. And, and then I thought again at my same time yeah. that this connect by this my daughter was dying in May. A very difficult life, and uh, then my mother, very self-centered life. Something happened a few months before her death. She told me she had a fit, and her passing, the characteristic self-centeredness, had just disappeared. She was interested in others, what they were doing, and she just seemed to be pain-free. She was amazing, and I see both of those as that she gives. Such a sort of life, she gives the attachment to herself and existed in the point of view consciousness referred to here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's just like an invitation. You know, but if you had never heard it before and then you were 
you were suffering, let's say, a lot of different things, and the way you try to piece it together never seemed to bring about any relief. And then you listen, you read in a bookstore or something, a simple statement like that. Yeah, it's done a great service to you. It can save you time. Just like when you go into AA and you find out that you're an alcoholic. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, and it makes sense out of a lot of things that made no sense at all. Yeah, so an understanding can be very valuable, but it leads not. It's not meant just to be that. It's it's like a. It's like a. There's the understanding, and it's sure ground, but it's almost got an escalated quality. It's leading you somewhere else too. So while you're you have an assurity and you've got a sound foundation, it's not just that. It's leading you to vision in a sense where the mind leaves a formatted way to know things and now just sees from a knowing of things, yeah? You know what I mean? And when that seeing of knowing of things, as no thing really, <laughs> when that gets sort of uh, clouded over or something, then there's the understanding to fall back on, yeah? So then the correction is made and then the seeing. It's not like the seeing disappears. It can just be sort of obscured because of the mental activities here, yeah? In other words, the sun doesn't go away just because the cloud is blocking it. Your experience is that the sun's gone away, but it actually hasn't. The cloud has moved in front, yeah? So I have an understanding that this one understanding would be no understanding in a way, which is the, the sun's gone away. Then another understanding that works better is that a cloud has come in front of it. So, and the cloud is coming only to go, so you don't have to have a big freak out that the sun's not there. It just doesn't seem to be there right now. And it's going to be there again when the cloud moves away. Yeah? That's a workable solution or an understanding. So here's an understanding, and yet the vision would be from the other side of the sun where you'd see the cloud, but it'd have no effect of blocking you from the sun at all. So it's another, you know, this is beyond an understanding. So you don't have an understanding of how to deal with it when the sun doesn't seem to be there, that it will be there again, this is just a passing event, whatever. This would be, you're on the sun side, like when you're in a plane and you go above the clouds and it's just super light there, it's raining below but it's super bright there. Well, you're, now the mind is resting there. So it sees the clouds but they have no influence on the condition of the sun. In your life. That's seeing, yeah? So there's understandings that are very helpful here because we can misunderstand here. That's, it's easy to do, yeah? It's reinforced by a lot all day and the mental process is reinforcing it. So it's not hard to be misunder- to misunderstand here. So there are some very, very good understandings in life, you know, Taoism and all this stuff. And then there's the vision, yeah? That in a way, has the greatest quality of an understanding, which is the understanding can be put down, yeah? Because now the vision takes over, yeah? And that's truly to be relied on, because the vision is available at all times, right where you are, no requirement necessary. You don't need to remember an understanding or to review it in a book or go to a talk. You actually, it's it's much more reliable, let's say, when there's the seeing of it, yeah? So with this, this is just, just like in AA when I came in, they said, hey, the root of the problem is obsession with self. That helped me unbelievably. I was like, what? <laughs> I thought the root of the problem was the cops, you know, or fucking the lousy coke that was on the street, or my not having enough money to buy the amount of coke I wanted. You know what I mean? I had a lot of ideas what the problem was. They said, forget all those ideas. The problem is you're obsessed with self. 
And then they said, why do you have so much fear today? I'm, Let me tell you why. I have no money. You know, my teeth are bad. I can't really get anything fixed. No, isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? What? Yeah. In other words, all the fears that you could possibly entertain here can be rooted back to one state, which is a reliance on self. Fucking, that's a good, damn good diagnosis. Yeah? It's not a personal diagnosis. That's why anyone who has alcoholism will read the book. It says everyone gets the same diagnosis. It says, hey, if you're in anxiety today, fear today, it's because you rely on self. That's basically it. Everyone gets the same pill. That's it. Hit the road. You know, get out of yourself. Help someone else. Do this. Do that. But that's. As, but you need the diagnosis. Yeah. The diagnosis is good to be clear because then it's sort of like. Um, like, I always use the term with the cold and the flu. You're suffering some effects. You think it's a cold, but it's a flu. Yeah. So you get $300 worth of cold medicine, and you take it religiously, and you have this meager expectation that it should work, and then you get disappointed. It works a little bit, because flus and colds have similar symptoms, but not all. But you don't get really a radical relief from the cold, because you misdiagnose it. It's a flu. Yeah. It's a flu. That's why people assume that things were going to get great when they stopped drinking because they thought that was the cause of their trouble. It's a rude awakening when they realize that then the real cause shows up, which is you. <laughs> That's why you were trying to drink yourself out of you. <laughs> you know? So the understanding has, is, is good and it's nice to always fall back on, but it's not the end-all, be-all. It's vision. It's inherently the consciousness that's available right now. Yeah? That you can rest there. And then there's then the, the all the partitions of yes and no, this and that lose their uh, boundaries. And it it's all gets more diffuse and then you you sense the illumination of all these contrary movements, yeah. The light that's allowing them to seem so different, you know. Like one day and another day. I'm going to try to print this out a little bit. This book. <laughs> so far. Progressive Stages of Meditation on Emptiness. One of my favorites. I found it. I can't, I'm so happy to find it again in my room. That's where I got the idea of long-lasting, independent, separate insight. I found it. I can't, I'm so happy to find it again.